In the 1980s, three kids grew up watching cartoons in their PJs, eating cold cereal and playing with toys. These boys promptly grew up and joined the vast suburban landscape. Today, still infatuated with toys and shows from their youth, they survive as dads. If you want a podcast and have no one else to listen to, and if you can find it, maybe you can listen to The Saturday Morning Buffoons. All right, welcome back to The Saturday Morning Buffoons. Uh, We are recording our second episode of the series. Uh, We are stepping away from G.I. Joe for a moment, although we did uh, celebrate the 35th anniversary of G.I. Joe, the movie, this past weekend. Uh, Specifically, Joe and Jason went and saw it in theaters together. I tried to watch it on a brutally destroyed DVD uh, simultaneously with them, so we got got to do a little bit of that. But today we want to talk about one of the rarer, if that's a word, more rare uh, cartoons that, uh, for the three of us, I think was was something that we thought was much much more than it was, like longer specifically. But we're going to talk about Mask. Uh, so season one, episode one is called The Death Stone. This was in 1985. And uh, let's let's get it started, guys. Uh, I for sure thought Mask was way cooler than it was, at least the cartoon. Um, toys definitely were cool, and I'm I kind of feel like. I have a strong feeling that Mask was definitely one of those. We're going to make a toy and then make a cartoon to fit the toy. If that's not the case, somebody let me know. I know that we mentioned uh, He-Man was like that. Uh, so I don't know about Mask, if it, if it was. Uh, Jason, do you have any info on whether Mask was a toy first? From what I could gather, it was a toy, then turned into a cartoon series. And the cartoon reflects that, because... It definitely focuses on the vehicles and such, and the story is a dumpster fire at best. It's also why you don't get an an actual true origin story, I think, in the cartoon. They just go into the this the start. They don't like have any explanation of where these people came from, how they got their powers, you know, the relationship between any of them. Uh it it's, just starts. It's interesting you mentioned no origin story because I had a lot of questions in my in my notes about like what the hell is this? Why are they doing that? I what's I have no background no background whatsoever. Yeah, it just kind of jumps like straight into a a, um, a one time event, I guess, if you will. Like there, you get no lead up as to who they are or what they do. You just get this uh, meteor strike. I mean, it, it starts pretty right off the bat. Uh, but <laughs> before we go a lot further, um, I didn't write this down. I used to know the answer. I'm guessing Jason does. What does MASK stand for? I got you. So MASK stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command with a K. So teaching kids how to spell correctly in that's the very, 80s was great. That's very Russian of them to use a K mm-hmm. for command. To use a K. Was it backwards? No, it wasn't like Toys R Us. <laughs> I was going to say Venom is also an acronym for a vicious evil oh. network of mayhem. Oh, well, that's to work the word vicious in. That's good. That, that checks out. <laughs> and network before networks were networks. Yeah. I like the, <clears throat> there's some parallels here, right? Cause I, I mentioned to you guys before that I learned throughout time that comic book wise, apparently mask and GI Joe actually take place within the same universe. So whoever's coming up with some of this stuff, we have Cobra, we have Venom. 
you know, we have a, a serious use of acronyms. Like this must have been what was popular for for toys, especially like action figure type toys in in the mid to late 1980s. Like the BET, exactly. Or like half of the GI Joe vehicle names are all yeah. acronyms. Yeah, or, yeah, and how, especially the early ones, right? I think even like the the Cobra Claw hang glider stood for something too. It's like. Or they just threw they just threw acronyms in because they felt it made it look cooler. And and Jason, the GI Joe whale is an acronym. What is the acronym? I know you know it. I don't remember what it was anymore. Hold on, I'll use the glorious internet to find this information. Something so about Jason, a give us yeah, Jason, give us a little background on Mask and uh, the origin while Joe's looking up that this this great information. Okay, so the origin story was actually told through comic books that were released uh, with the toys. So every time you got a mask vehicle, you got a comic book. And for the first run of the series, it had the origin story. And the origin story was Matt Tracker, his brother Andy, and Miles Mayhem were working together to create these helmets and vehicles to um, help everybody. They had useful capabilities and projects. But as soon as it started to complete, Miles Mayhem's like, I want all of this by myself. So he essentially took some of it, blew up the lab, killed Andy Tracker. And um, now Matt Tracker has developed Mask to fight the Venom side of the whole thing. So did they not notice, like, from the beginning that Miles' last name is Mayhem? You know, it just probably never <laughs> crossed your mind. Completely caught him off guard. All right, I have the acronym for the whale, by the way. It's whale with an H. Wahail, Warrior Hovering Assault Launching Envoy. Okay. G.I. Joe and the acronym thing, I think, went too far. They they did. They were always trying to uh, force an acronym, I guess. You know, um, I even did that when I made a custom figure one time. I, like, forced an acronym on him just because I felt like it was very G.I. Joe. But let's let's get away from GI Joe. Let's focus on uh, again series one, episode one, season one, episode one of the Death Stone. Um, I'm going to start real quick. Uh, this theme st- song from Mask is constantly stuck in my head, like on a daily basis. Uh, I know Joe, you're not. You think the the theme song is kind of cheesy. Uh, it's I love. Bu- I think it's bu- 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 bad. I I think this is a the epitome of a, an '80s theme song for a t- a cartoon to get kids to remember it. Like anytime though, anyone in my family even says the word mask in my head, I'm saying I'm a mask. I don't even know the words. I just know it goes like, mask, but you're dead on it being catchy. And like probably parents were like, dear God, please. Stop humming that before I have to go to jail for abuse. But they were working overtime, fighting crime. Parents Secret Raiders. Overtime. <laughs> Secret Raiders, what? It's actually right well, up there with the Silverhawks theme song, I think. Which I don't really recall the Silverhawks theme song. But so let's let's dig into this episode. So one thing that uh, I was watching it on a, a streaming service um, that is a free tr- streaming service, so there's ads. And they hit you with one of the commercial break promos, like right off the bat. As soon as the theme song's over, they're like, Mask will be back in action right after this break. And then you get the one when they come back, right? We're back. Let's see what Mask is up to. 
you know, that kind of, that kind of promo, which was also kind of big in the eighties. Also to be fair, um, I too watched it on a unnamed streaming service and I happened to catch, we happened to watch the intro while Jason was here and Jason pointed out that the streamed intro is not the original intro. There were some differences between the original intro and whatever one they were using on the stream service. And we couldn't seem to find the original intro. Jason, if you want to chime in on what some of those differences were. Uh, Hondo's mask is different. Instead of the smaller rectangular one that has Jordy LaForge's visor, it's uh, a larger kind of a diamond looking mask, like almost a Indian headdress. And then like, uh, it, I, I always thought of it as kind of like the, uh, TNC surf, like voodoo doctor mask oh. looking things. So maybe some cultural sensitivity there. They, they changed the mask on it. And then the, um, his vehicle in there is not his orange truck, which I believe oh. is called the, um, what the hell is it called? Blast. Firecracker. No. Yeah. Firecracker. Firecracker is the truck. The intro also showed the girl with the yellow helmet and evidently she was not present in the first season. I re- I do remember her. I remember her showing up later because um, I always felt like she looked like airtight, but a girl. That was my that was my, you know, 1985 view of what she was. Um, so we've got this meteor. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's proof that there's a life giving meteor, which happens to be radioactive, by the way. So those two things commonly don't really go together, life giving and radioactive. I thought yeah. that was interesting. I actually I mean, just wrote what on that. I, I I wrote the word. I wrote the quote: "Life-saving meteor?" Question mark. And then saves life with radioactivity, which goes against everything we know. Unless you're like the Fantastic Four or or the Incredible Hulk, and you were exposed to gamma rays, which definitely don't heal you. They like mutate the hell out of you. So that was an interesting quote. How did she know? Yeah, she knows right off the bat that's a life-giving meteor. And <laughs> I, lo- I love very early on, someone stole the meteor. Okay, this meteor comes from the sky, it lands on Earth, and it's stolen. Right? Well, like this. It's just, uh, how, do you, how do you get a meteor stolen? Or more importantly, how do you know where it is to steal it? But also, it, it seems like it's like the size of a basketball when they show it later in the, the, the episode? Like I was kind of thinking more like a watermelon. Okay. Fair. A, a big old school, like oblong shaped one. Yeah. Not a square one. I want to point out before we get any farther here that um, the entire first season, which is the 72 episodes that was Deke. Um, they work under the premise that Venom does not know who Mask is, even though in the origin story, Miles Mayhem was working with Matt Tracker to make these masks. They have no clue who each other are. There are story plots that revolve around that whole concept in these episodes. So they negated their thing right off the bat. I want to I backtrack real quick. You said season one is 72 episodes? Yes. <laughs> All right. 
well, what happened to 72 episode TV seasons? They they gone. Nothing. We we're lucky if we get six, right? Like on a Netflix show or something like that. Um, how do they they don't know who Mask is and yet they share the same technology, which comes from who the hell knows where? Ugh, it's like I said, this thing has so many plot holes. So, but this goes back to your whole theory. Uh, well, the, the where they are, they've taken the toy line and they're writing stuff, uh, cartoon series and comic books and things based on that. And they're not caring about the story. In fact, you can hardly find like who wrote these episodes. There's um, in the whole first season, there are. 12 writers total and there's one guy that does like the script supervision and then when you get to season two which is essentially just the ones where they're all riding around uh, uh racetracks uh, with each oh. other there are three writers well i will say i can i can confirm even though it was decades ago i never once read a single one of the comic books that came with the toys i probably threw it out i put the vehicle together whatever put the de- put the stickers on it got the figure ready, put his mask on him and I was off and playing. So a, I had, I probably went along with the whole, like, uh, they don't know who each other are, but it does give you the explanation as to why they're using the show to support the toy. Really? You guys didn't read your bio cards. I, I used to cut my bio cards out of, out of the back of the figure. And I had a little metal, like uh, essentially it was like a recipe tin like a square box that I housed all of my um, your file cards. Heck yeah, my file cards. I still so have I them did around file. the house somewhere. So I did read file cards. I did not read the stuff that was in the package. I generally read the file card like on the way home from the store, as like you know after I bought it, it gave me something to do in the car. So I re- that's when I would usually read the file <laughs> so, cards. So it kept you busy, so you didn't spill all the uh, accessories <laughs> into the cushioning of your car. Hundred percent, and then they're lost forever. And then you have your I've, mom saying, "I told you not to do that." Yeah, I have. I'm pretty sure there's a uh, '70s Plymouth um, sedan with Lone Ranger pistol and <laughs> uh, Tonto knife in the bottom of its hulking wreckage somewhere, and a myriad of GI Joe weapons. Probably more Star Wars, but yeah. He-Man had comics too. If you bought the characters, they had a He-Man comic in the back of them. And I didn't read those either. I think the only reason that I read the mask comic is because I bought a mask toy while I was in Connecticut visiting my grandparents. And I had literally nothing else to do because there was nothing on TV at the time. And my parents wouldn't let me do anything. So I, w- I read the comic. Gotcha. So let's let's dive in a little bit deeper, guys. We're, we're sidetracking ourselves a lot here. So the, the, the meteor happens. It gets stolen. The... Uh... Uh, by a no one says anything it's just some weird looking drone thing yeah and so uh professor dr stevens whatever her name is um she drives her jeep into a river (laughs) off of a massive cliff by the way to be fair she was being chased by venom that's true but verbatim she drives her jeep into the river and one of the Venom guys says, no one could survive that crash. I she was a jump. good driver, but <laughs> not a good diver. Gotcha. But here's where things get dicey. I'm going to lean this one towards Joe. Joe, where does she wake up? 
she wakes up at Matt Tracker's house, which I was just like, what in the hell? Like, does Matt Tracker live? How far away does Matt Tracker live? Does someone find her her carcass on the shore somewhere? And then they're like, oh, man, we got to get her to Matt Tracker's house. And how much time has passed? Like, I, that whole thing is just confusing. How does he know she's there? Uh, she's sleeping on the couch in his uh, office. Duh. No, no. In the river. How does she know? How does he know she's jumped into the river? For this, he must have the same sort of technology that tracks when meteors fall from the sky and he said land. Friends. Oh, that's true. He did say friends. So Matt Tracker apparently has another network of uh, employed people that he forces to do his bidding. But <laughs> this is a great question because I was just going to say, are they the same friends that are members of Mask, or is this a totally different crew of people? These are these or, are people that he. Um, does not call away from their full-time jobs to do whatever the hell he wants on his own time without paying them, I'm guessing. So I don't know. And I mean, is it Venom feeding him the information? Maybe he's still secretly working with... Maybe it's G.I. Joe. Okay, so she jumps off the river. She wakes up in Tracker's house. Um, He uses another new outfit. Whole oh, was she outfit. in a whole new uh, outfit? Yes. She was wearing, to be fair, she was wearing a like radioactive active suit, remember, because um he was like, Hey buddy, and then he's like, Oh, you're not a buddy when he, you know, they try to take the the stuff from her. Um so I think she just had like a coveralls on her radioactive suit or whatever. Okay, I will accept that. Except when she takes the tape that she had recorded of the whole situation. She takes it out of the breast pocket of her jacket. But when she went into the water, she had that in her hands outside the radioactive suit. So how did she get the thing into her pocket? Magic. While she was falling. Magic. The answer is Matt Wizards. Wizards. I posit a theory where Matt Tracker dressed her in clothes that he had lying around the house. Yeah, because Matt Tracker clearly has no wife, which means stupid Scott Tracker clearly has no motherly guidance. That kid later... Maybe it's the late Mrs. Tracker. He's giving her the late Mrs. Tracker's clothes. Which is also awkward. It's awful, right? Okay, so uh, Matt Tracker also in his house, uh, as far as we know, has this massive computer system. Which... That that can can take a tape that has tape in it and scan it for information. Continuing the theme of um, 80s cartoons with computers that are the size of an entire, like, two to three stories high lining the walls of a metal interface, like something out of a Transformers, uh, you know, the inside of the Transformers ship. That's just common. That's just standard computers for the 1985, 86, etc. So... So the computer scans the tape and uncovers almost instantly that the meteor was stolen by a terrestrial UFO and Venom. The life-saving meteor, by the way. Radioactive life-saving meteor. So after we find out that it is stolen by this uh, terrestrial UFO and Venom, uh, he he immediately jumps into action and he's going to call the members of Mask. You mean the poor bastards that are chained to Matt Tracker's ankle? Like they must owe him some sort of debt that's unbelievable. Because you've got guys leaving in the middle of le- being lead singers of concerts, uh, being 
pizza makers. Uh, what else did I see? Um, somebody's working at a gas station. Hondo was a substitute teacher. Or, or at least he's in the middle of teaching a class and he just dips out. I hate to tell you this, but if you do that, you don't get to be a substitute teacher anymore. Thanks, Matt Tracker. And well, I, isn't, I don't see him cutting them checks at the end of the day. Isn't their headquarters a gas station or a service station? Yeah. That's what it's disguised as, right? That's the front, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so again, again, one guy, Dusty. Dusty's a full-time employee for Matt Tracker. Or as far as we know. We as still don't know if he's know. being paid. It's Buddy right. Hawks. Dusty's the pizza guy. Oh, uh, is that the guy who drives the green motorcycle, Buddy Hawks? No, that was the that was the guy that was doing the uh, band concert. Buddy Hawks so was the guy working at Bunker Hill in the gas okay. station. Here's here's how they get listed off when he asks for the best agents to to help. Brad Turner, his vehicle is codenamed Condor. Bruce Sato, uh, vehicle codenamed Rhino. Alex Sector, who we just find out is the Rhino Systems Commander. Hondo McLean, which drives the Firecracker, Dusty Hayes, who drives Gator, and Buddy Hawks, who is the Firecracker co-pilot. He later gets so, a vehicle, but I don't remember what it was. Well, and I was going to say, so some of these guys don't even have their own vehicle. I kind of get the Rhino's big, right? And it's kind of their like their mobile headquarters. It's kind of where everything goes from. So it makes it makes sense. But like, a there's some serious stereotypes here. For the characters, uh, you know, the Alex Sector look looks strikingly like a GI Joe character who also seems to have a Russian background. Um, and then Bruce Sato, I'm not even diving into that one. Uh, I would argue but, that he's the only one that does not leave some sort of job like right, like right in the middle of it. He's there drawing schematics for a robot or something. So in theory, he could have been doing that at his home. Yeah, and he seems to be the philosophical one, right? So he, you never know. His he could have a degree in philosophy. Oh, is that what we're calling his his later comments? The philosophical. We'll get into that later. Uh, is the guy throwing the pizza the guy that doesn't have his own vehicle? Because if that's the case, then that makes a lot of sense. No, he's not. No, the guy throwing the, the pizza is dusty, and he drives that orange jeep. Okay, so that kind of checks out, right? Like you, you'd think a guy driving a, a jeep wrangler would be throwing pizzas, right? And it also turns into a boat. So, like, that guy's, like, some early 20s redneck, right, who working at the pizza joint, and he's going out fishing on the weekends in his Jeep boat thing. I mean, that make I mean, okay, I get that. Unless Matt Tracker calls him. Damn you, Matt Tracker. All right, so what happens next, guys? I mean, like, my, my notes kind of jump here, honestly, oh. because he goes to the <laughs> underground shuttle. What happens next is we zoom in on Ricky Schroeder, a.k.a. Silver Spoons, a.k.a. Scott frickin' Tracker. The only thing that kid's missing is a slide from his room into his playroom, that little jerk. And his best friend is a robot who apparently uh, has uh, emotions. I don't even know. And he's a transformer. He's a moped. But that's like, here we go, Matt Tracker being the, the rich jack wagon that he is. Uh, sorry, Scott, you don't have a mom to raise you or any friends, so I'm going to give you a robot that Sato probably made. And the robot is now his best friend, who clearly does not dissuade him from making poor decisions in life. Because we're going to get into some some stuff 
in some later scenes. And this whole thing goes wrong because Scott's a jerk and because Scott can't stay out of trouble. And, and, and at the end, the poor scientist tries to take the blame for it. And Matt doesn't dissuade her from that, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. He's a jerk. Scott's a spoiled punk. So we do get a scene here where um, Miles Mayhem and, and Venom have cut the meteor into three parts, like three separate things, and they're testing the power on it. And uh, it basically it melts plants. And because it melts plants, uh, he thinks that he will start the bidding for one piece of the Death Stone at $50 million for a plant melter. Yep. That's how you know it kills things. It gives life and takes it away. Well, you have to cut it open before you let out all the evil. So, yeah, maybe only whole you can be life-saving, but if you cut it up, it's, it's, a, de- it's a death stone. It's, it, it melts things. Well, we know for a fact that in the later part of the episode that once it has been rejoined through all I can come up with is wizards, wizards. <laughs> exactly, it, it now is going to save lives. Okay, so we, we have, obviously, like we'd mentioned this already, uh, a tracker can patch into the radiation tracking satellite. Which so immediately, a, immediately finds the meteor. Right. I mean, there's not even a possible radiation uh, source anywhere else. It just goes straight to this meteor. Um, a, does a radiation tracking satellite actually exist outside of the United States military? I'm sure they have something, but they, they usually have to get closer to it, too, to determine. Because uh, they use the, you know, uh, what do they call them? Geiger things. Geiger. A, uh, a Geiger counter. There you go. Um, so anyway, he's got a radiation tracking satellite, so he's way ahead of the game. He's got a satellite that pinpoints radiation on Earth. And not, not to mention in the addition of all the other tech that he's been hiding underground, right. literally. His his elevator down to his underground uh, train car place that takes him to his base that has a massive floor lift where the Knights of the Round Table sit around to get their masks distributed to them. Okay, I got this this question here. I think I'm going to go to Jason for this one because I know Jason has a T-shirt that kind of signifies this. I assume that the mask members sit in the same chairs all the time, but the thing spins around as it's coming down, like it's looking for the proper mask to give to the proper guy. I mean, we have to assume at least Tracker sits in the same spot. Uh, it seemed like it was one of those cutscenes where it was just pre-drawn, kind of like the Voltron assembling themselves. And so there is one seat in this episode that's empty, and that's for the girl. So when the girl shows up later on in the series, basically any time Miles Mayhem has his girl on his side, um, she shows up in that seat. But otherwise, the seats are essentially pre-animated, it looks like. Is is there a background as to why she was removed from the first season if we're supposed to believe that she still exists? So not from the first season. Remember, first season 72 episodes, and it spans the entire, essentially what everybody thinks is mask. But basically, she's not in some of the earlier ones. Uh, but it seemed, seemed like it was one of those where, hey, we need to write in a woman. Uh, so we're going to have one on the mask side and one on the Venom side. They never actually made a toy of her, yeah. which I thought they did, but they never did. Well, and I don't remember. Did they ever make a, a Venom one? No, I, I don't remember there being a woman on the Venom side at all. I don't recall that. I know toy Season wise, two. toy wise, I remember one Christmas I got the the Matt Tracker Thunderhawk, 
and my brother got the Miles Mayhem helicopter jet thing, which again, I think Joe has some comments on on jet helicopters. But a jet and a helicopter, really? You need both. You can't get from point A to point B. Like, uh, well, well, let's turn it into a helicopter so it goes slower. What I don't. It's for hovering purposes and stealing meteors, apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's it really that's the that's the UFO, right? Matt Tracker uncovers that Venom obviously used their helicopter inside a a phony UFO shell. Which, if you actually look at the first part of the episode, it's that stupid dagger guy driving it with a remote control. So if it was the helicopter inside that thing, why would he be driving it with a remote control? Oh, is the dagger rolls. guy that sounds like Jack Nicholson? Yeah. Or is that the other guy? You mean no, the other that... guy is the other guy is that sounds like Jack Nicholson's uh, Sly or something like that. Which which one's the one who has not really an eye patch but more like a ribbon over his eye? Dagger. Idiot. His vehicle was cool in toy form, by the way. Yes, his yeah. vehicle was awesome. The Bronco. Yeah. yeah. So again, we so now you know Tracker has determined all these things very quickly. That, okay. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. I apologize. So the whole scene where the team gets assembled, they're in their little round table and the masks are getting flung around and handed out like candy on Halloween. This is where I start having massive questions about like, how does this tech work? Where does it, how is it designed? You know, like, where does it come from? Which again, without the background knowledge that Jason had, I would have no idea where any of this information came from whatsoever. But to be fair, in 1985, you didn't care. Like it was just cool. Right, you are I, you are not wrong about that. Yeah, but you you don't even realize like watching it now. I don't even realize that I didn't even know what half of these masks did. Correct. And it was arbitrary too, based on the uh, what they needed to do in the episode. At least for Matt Tracker, Matt Tracker's spectrum seemed to do a lot of different things, as opposed to some of the other ones who just had like Bruce's was lifter, and that could lift things and then gators had some or dusty had some sort of a um like ray gun that shot out of his face there's like a hologram one though hologram like they've created a hologram of the firecracker or something which is by the way flying at this point um chasing yeah. the the miles mayhem um helijet and <laughs> hella, uh it was stupid <laughs> you know and i just was trying to figure out so his his little who is that? That's a uh, he's flying the Condor. So that's Brad Turner, Turner. right? That's flying the green motorcycle that turns into a helicopter, which also has an antimatter ray, but it's and, not uh, linked to the map. Laser guided, what was it? Laser guided something? Uh, laser guided jet mode. Yeah, that takes him to Mach one, kind of like um, he's driving a whole um, what like a fiber optic cable. Correct, and he so he's just so. The listeners know that means uh, he's on a helicopter jet motorcycle with no surrounding him, and he's going at the speed of sound. Plausible, and he just also he has an antimatter gun on the front of it, which can shoot holes in the things and, and be fired while you're traveling at the speed of sound. Yes, Brad Turner's mask. Uh, power was called Hocus Pocus. So he's the one creating the holograms or the illusions or whatever. Yes. 
to fool so the what he decided to, what he decided to do to make uh miles mayhem think that he was in trouble was make a truck fly yeah he Does couldn't he... have picked one of the other flying vehicles he went for the one that was clearly land-based wouldn't you freak out you saw a truck flying at you i mean i would i mean i mean i guess it reminds me of a comedy sketch that i heard where the guy's talking about doing a, a B and E and his partner's like, don't, don't, don't. I hear cars. And he's like, uh, cars are all over the world. If you hear a killer whale, let me know. Otherwise. So I guess it stands to reason that if you see a flying truck, that's going to be a little more, uh, off putting than, than another flying vehicle. So I, I'm going to give you points on that one, Joe. That makes sense. Right. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just sticking with the theme of complete nonsense, right? Like, a life-giving radioactive meteor, um, a flying drone of some kind that's really a helicopter inside. And, you know, things don't get much better with the, the continuation of the scene once they figure out that they've gotten the location of the meteors in three different places. They head out on the road. Kevin, I apologize. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and take the description of the, uh, the episode. And they're driving along, and Sato decides that he's going to enlighten the rest of the mask team with some um, eloquent, you know, philosophy, which is, if a fish flies, look not for a fish, but a bird inside. And one of the mask characters goes, what the hell are you talking about? And Matt Tracker goes, clearly, clearly... I get what you're saying here. And it's that Venom used a helicopter inside of the drone. And I literally just wrote on my notes, WTF, because the riddle never makes any sense. I've never heard this riddle ever before in my life. How does Matt Tracker put two and two together? I don't know. Maybe it's from his friends again, but that whole, that whole clip is just complete and utter nonsense. And that that does actually lead to another question I have, a, a WTF type question. Um, so, in the, Joe, I know you're going to be passionate about this. So what is up with Scott and T-Bob? Like, they're, I know you touched on it a little bit, but they seem to have a relationship that's a little bit beyond uh, T-Bob was built to maybe keep track or babysit uh, Silver Spoons, as you call him. Uh I'm a little disturbed by their relationship, I think. Um, he's more than a friend, I would say. How much more, I don't really want to know. Um, nor do I even want to speculate, uh, because then it just borders on weird, and I don't want to think about things like that. Um, but clearly T-Bob is made to raise Scott, because as we get a little further on, he's asking T-Bob for advice. And T-Bob is telling him right from wrong. He's a friggin' robot that you ride around on. Like, let's have some discretion here, pal. So he's also, uh, that means that T-Bob is, is like full-on artificial intelligence, right? Like he's able to absorb new information and, and all that kind of stuff. He's like, he has a soul, basically. It's, well, he immediately responds to questioning from, you know, members of Venom when he gets captured to quote start a diversion while I fly this helicopter around. 
Well, so it, let's let's jump on on some of this. So uh, during this whole interaction, when they find out Scott is there, right? Hondo realizes Scott's around, and um, as Venom's attacking, Hondo jumps to protect Scott, right, and gets hurt. So a Scott has already derailed the entire mission. The entire mission for just being there. Well, oh, and he ends up there because he goes. Mask is going to need my help if they're going to be successful or something like that. Flash Correct. forward That's... to completely ruin everything and almost kill one of the members of Mask. So does does T Bob also provide this like really inflated ego that Scott Tracker has that that they can't do it without him? This is where my first um, kind of opinion that that this runs sort of in line with Inspector Gadget, which is the opposite but the same. In Inspector Gadget. Penny and the dog actually are the ones that solve everything, right? But Inspector Gadget thinks he gets it all done, but this, Penny, this is completely the opposite. Like, like Scott is the worst thing that could happen to any one of these missions. He is, to quote Destro, a buffoon. A complete buffoon, Scott, Scott Tracker is. He's, uh, he's just an idiot, and he's completely oblivious to the fact that he's just mucking everything up from start to finish. He should have died. He was thrown from the back of Hondo's truck onto the ground before Hondo even jumped on top of him to de- to de- to shield him from falling debris, which may or may not have actually fallen on top of them. He was. They were getting shot at, to be fair, I believe. No, but then uh, Brad Turner did something with his animatic ray and broke up everything, and then all it was was falling debris on top of them. It didn't actually like actually shoot them. What I want to do, I want to go point out one thing, is that, one, it's Hondo is the one that's always in trouble. He's like, mayday, mayday, and Bruce, and uh, Matt Tracker's like, oh, there must be trouble. Hold on, something uh, sounds like trouble. And there's a shot in the, in the scene where Hondo's truck is driving down a, a path, and then the rhino is coming at it. And Bruce, or whoever's driving the Rhino, doesn't even swerve. He just keeps going. And Honda, like, cuts to the right. And I think that's what causes uh, uh, Silver Spoons to fall out the back and die. Correct. He... So I guess the argument here is that, that Scott should be dead. Scott From should the, be I dead. Mean... Uh, Bruce is a racist, maybe, for trying to ride and uh hondo off the road or maybe no one likes hondo maybe they're all racists you know well, i guess <laughs> you go ahead joe uh, as i say i don't know if i'm going as far as racist but i will point out that scott should be dead and everyone else should be better off with him gone um <laughs> including t-bob including t-bob because this kid's a menace Hondo's the only Do you one. Want to point out? Sorry, I wanted to add to that. Scott is one hundred percent the reason why Hondo is injured. One hundred percent. I'm sticking to this in uh, a court. This is my statement, my witness statement. Scott is one hundred percent the reason why Hondo is injured. Well, and to add to that, and maybe Jason, you're going the same way. But when they talk about the injury, Matt Tracker goes, Venom. Do you think that Scott is the MacGuffin of Mask? 
So he's there to advance the plot, but he's not important at all. Just, just saying. It could be. I mean, maybe his middle name is MacGuffin. Scott MacGuffin Tracker. I think I think Scott is the podster. I don't know if he's the MacGuffin device, but he is the source of most of the problems they're having. Aside from the whole, we got to get the meteor back. He's he's causing all the side problems. Yeah, you could argue that that uh, Mass could have gotten this done no problem if Scott hadn't interfered. You really could. Um, but see, and I want to go back to the like the the childhood feeling. Of this like I was watching it this morning, and I think I actually said out loud, "I'm like, man, I loved this show as a child. Like I thought this was the second best show to GI Joe for the brief time." that it was on and that's including transformers was around and thundercats was around but i thought mask was so cool and now i'm starting to look back and i'm like i think i only had like three mask toys but was it the mask toys that were cool and not the show but then again i go back to the fact that the themes the theme song is constantly stuck in my head even more so than the gi joe theme song i'm i'm going with toys are 100 percent the cool factor Toys are 100%. The cool part, the show, again, I'm with you. Like, I thought Mask was totally badass. But now that I've watched an episode after the fact, I'm just like, what the hell? Um, more on Scott, by the way, when we proceed with the, when we continue to proceed with the plot. But yeah, I thought the toys were way better than the show. So, question for both of you guys. Miles Mayhem is wearing a uniform. Like the every the, all the other guys wear some sort of either you know Matt Tracker puts on a a full like spectrum suit, but it seems like all the other guys are just wearing the clothes they showed up to work in. For the most part, a couple of them put on other things. I think like Bruce Sato does, but like Hondo's got on like a jacket and a t-shirt. And what uniform is Miles Mayhem wearing? What, what like I just don't get it. There's there, I, again. As a child, I thought, oh, he's totally a bad guy. He's got like this blue uniform on and he's clearly in charge and, and his name is Mayhem. And, you know, but is he is he a cop? Is he in the Air Force? Like, what's going on with Miles Mayhem? Uh, I kind of feel like it's more maybe like a because um, where Jason, did you say the country of origin of this cartoon is like France? So I kind of feel like maybe this is sort of like that likening him to another European person who took power in Europe by wearing uniforms and like making themselves look all official and militaristic like, and that kind of pushed how evil they were maybe. Well, and that's definitely, you know, again, we're talking about 1980s, right? So cold war stuff we've got, I mean, we all know that in the 1980s, no matter what type of action movie, action cartoon, whatever you watched, if there was some sort of Russian impl implication on all of it, right? That was the main enemy at the time, you know, um, or communism, I guess. So I, I get what you're alluding to, but at the same time, I would wonder, like, they just needed to make this guy look official, I think, like he was in, co in command, in control. Oh, a terrorist arms dealer in the like the Wikipedia page. He's a terrorist arms dealer. That's what it says. Maybe he was trying to be very uh, ultra militaristic. 
I, I think Venom branched off from Cobra. I'm just going to stick with it. Is he major blood? He's major blood, isn't he? There we go. That's where major blood I mean, went. That makes a little bit more. I mean, it doesn't make more sense, but it's equal amount of sense that it makes. He, so he, I mean, hey, the Venom name is derivative of Cobra. Makes as much damn sense as a meteor that heals and kills. So you, you can you can mull that around if you want. Watermelon sized meteor. Plant melting meteor. That can be split into three and then reattached organically. <laughs> you just push them together. And use the so same anyway, I guess. Clue. So one of the things that also gets me, and, and G.I. Joe totally guilty of some of this too, but uh, the Thunderhawk flies at high speeds and does dogfighting basically with the wings slash doors open. Um, and there's no, except for the seatbelt that Tracker's wearing, there's nothing really to keep him inside or to keep other things outside. So I guess, you know, Venom really should just pull up, side to the, up to the side of this thing and shoot into the doors if they really want to take out Matt Tracker. Um, but as Jason pointed Kill out, Scott maybe, first. right. <laughs> maybe as Jason points out, maybe spectrum kicks in and at, as, as it needs to, at that point, it can do whatever Matt tracker would need it to do to save his life. I wonder if later on in the series, they put safety belts on him because I know that I think there were safety belts in the car for the toy. And so I wonder if some group or organization decided to say, Hey, that guy's not wearing any safety belts. We need to put safety belts on him. No, I think, I think I think he is wearing a safety belt when they show him flying the Thunderhawk. He may not be wearing one while he's driving it. Um, you can at least sort of see one from an angle. That doesn't mean that it's on because it's kind of like that behind over the shoulder angle. Um, but you know, it's just those little things like you didn't think of as a kid, and you're like, I don't care. This this car turns into a jet, and it's a red sports car. So it was cool. Um, I loved that car. I thought it was awesome. It was one of my favorite toys for like 10 minutes. Couldn't put G.I. Joe's in it. Forget it. That's 100% correct. Somebody dropped the ball on the size of the mask. I think it's because they were focused on the vehicles. And they, you know, they, they, the vehicles would have had to have been pretty big to transform. Yeah. And also keep a G.I. Joe sized character. And I don't know. What what size were the masks, guys? I feel, I feel like they were... Uh, like this big, like uh, inch, inch and a half, an maybe? inch and a half big. I don't know. I mean, GI Joe's three and three quarter inch. I, I feel like mask at the most was the size of their legs. Yeah, I agree. So he's he's in the the helicopter, the gelicopter, the helo jet, whatever we're calling this thing now. And he goes, I really wish I knew how to fly one of these. But see, no one has taught Scott right from wrong or that there's consequences from your actions because Hondo being in a coma hasn't taught him anything. He starts pushing buttons. And then next thing we know, the helicopter, the gelicopter is skipping and jiving all over the place. And right. He, but he's it, creating it's, more it holds danger. together the whole time for the most part. Like after bouncing, nothing, nothing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. No pieces and fall off. I feel like it's like partially a jet and partially a helicopter at that point. It's a gelicopter. Or a hella jet. Hella stupid. <laughs> I'm sure many of you listeners will disagree. Rad toy. Weird concept. A jet and a helicopter. I don't get it. Thought it was awesome when I was a kid, of course. Um, but anyway. So, and who are these people buying? Who, pur- who are these people purchasing this meteor? Like, they're just random bad people 
the flying in their tailspin plane and they're like cool we want a meteor that does things that that are scary in moments notice well at least it, at least it can melt plants that's what we know it can do so by mask standards i should be worth 50 million dollars because i can melt plants too that's from to the right people that come out of you still death and it's still 50 million dollars it's fairly consistent yet inconsistent. You can't do it on command. Last I checked. So uh, we we get towards the end here, and uh, like I said, Scott has the meteor. Uh, Tracker's not sure if he should hug him or spank him. Hold on, we're not even done yet. So again, with Scott's uh, long trail of making poor decisions, he goes, "Hey, let's steal this truck." I don't know how to drive a truck. Do you know how to drive a truck, T-Bob? And T-Bob's like, huh, what? And so now Scott's got the poor robot. He's throwing the poor robot under the bus and making the robot steal the truck. Scott is a menace. He is a complete menace. He is just a one link after link in a long chain of poor decisions that keep this episode moving. So maybe he is the MacGuffin device. And so poor T-Bob is driving the truck. We can go back to dad of the year, Matt Tracker, and all he does after he figures out that Scott is still alive, say, hey, find a way back home, ask directions if you need to. Doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what he's doing, (laughs) he doesn't care. He's just like, find a way back home, ask directions if you have to. Because obviously everyone knows where Matt Tracker lives, the biggest douchebag on the block. He's got friends everywhere. How did he get the lady back at his house? Some friends found her in a river. They said, you know what? Let's take her to Matt Tracker. Everybody knows. The guy could go to, uh, Scott could go down to the local store and go, hey, I need to get back home. I'm Matt Tracker's kid. They're like, all right, here's where you go. Uh, One good and plenty. And can you tell me how to get to home, please? Thank you. So he's effectively, Matt Tracker's effectively a mob boss in a small, like, borough of New York, New Jersey, where everybody knows who he is and just does what he wants him to do. But he's disguising as a good guy. Well, a good guy on the surface till he forces his team to quit their jobs and come to work for him. And while they're working for him, he's like, you know, he's uh, sneaking into your house hooking up with your wife while he while he's got you occupied. Because what else are you going to do? Can't go back to subbing, Hondo, because you walked out on the job with a bunch of teenagers. That's legally liable. So is, what else are you going to do? Is Matt Tracker Hank Scorpio? I guess he could Ooh, be. That's a good question. Is Hank Scorpio... Um, uh, I mean, Matt Tracker lures you away from... No. Elon Musk is Hank Scorpio Elon Musk without a beard. I don't know. Yes. It could be. That's that seems very feasible. But so okay, okay. So I'm not sure if he he, he says I'm not sure if I would should hug hug him or spank him spank or him. Uh, hug you or spank you. A uh I, I something tells me that T Bob's gonna be responsible for this <laughs> uh well, disciplinary action. When they, <laughs> when they engage in but here's the thing, when they engage in um again scott's not taking any responsibility for any of this um it's yeah what is it t-bob's fault is he the one well i mean he did steal the truck so i mean t-bob and scott are a team so i think if if scott's the responsible t-bob's almost equally responsible right 
but so they're they're back at Matt Tracker's home, I assume, which is where the mask headquarters is. It's a gas station inside of a volcano, which is also Matt Tracker's house. Um, no, and they, they, he's not in the house. The house is farther away. That's how he, why he goes down in a little uh, tunnel car thing like Voltron. Okay, fine. But either way, they're somehow connected by this it, this internal subway system uh, with a rocket car that goes down these tracks. That's accurate. And, uh, oh, other uh, question. Uh, where else does that rocket car go? Because when he got into it, he's like, mask headquarters. It's like, where else does it go? Does it go to the grocery store or something? That's a great question. Probably. Can he go somewhere else? Right? Can it also go to a Hunter's restaurant? House. Can... Brad Turner's house. <laughs> And now we're oh, getting to the Matt Tracker. <laughs> Matt Tracker calls people into work and then bails because he has Matt Tracker a direct line to to all of their houses to see all of their girlfriends and or wives. Um, is it also just an escape to get away from Scott the Doofus? Oh. No, because he follows him. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, can we mention that? Matt is clearly telling Scott what he does for a living and is not trying to prevent him from danger in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I mean, even in this episode, not that it's necessary, but the Stevens lady wasn't going anywhere. She could have kept an eye on, on Scott while he was staying and not interfering That's with the mission. That's T-Bob's job. <laughs> How old is Scott? Cool. What are we looking at? Nine, oh, I, I totally had this question because height-wise, he looks like he's about 14. Yeah, in some in some of the scenes, but that could go back to the animation thing that we've discussed before. I really think he's um, they've just ported the penny from Inspector Gadget into this and cut the ponytails off. I think Scott is old. You know, how old is Scott? He's old enough to know better. That's how old he is. How much is Matt Chacker paying the police to look the other way for him abandoning and abandoning his child every time he goes out on a mask mission? T-Bob or no T-Bob, the kid's alone. Well, yeah. After two or three times, even if if Tracker was like, "Well, T Bob's got him," the, the police are going to be like, "Anytime T Bob has him, things go completely awry here." This this kid is what did you say, Joe? Earlier, a menace, a complete menace. This is why you know you know you shouldn't be a latchkey kid when you're in the eighties. But so he he knows that, as you guys said, he knows that Tracker has this high profile job where he's clearly some sort of scientist rich philanthropist he's hank scorpio batman i i don't know like what but somehow he has not a single person that will look after his child uh he creates the robot or has bruce sato create the robot or somebody um he calls all these people in to do his bidding but not one of them is he like can you stay and watch scott because he doesn't want to put that burden on any other living human being. Because or Scott, himself, apparently. Because Scott's such a douche. I mean, how often do you think he's walking around going, jeez, this kid. What the hell am I going to do with this kid? Every day, Kevin. Every day. That's how often he goes around saying that. Every damn day. He's going to leave this kid in the car with the windows rolled up on a hot day. T-Bob will just break him out. Well, and you did point out, he just tells the kid basically to find his way home. Maybe that was his way of trying to get rid of the kid. He's like, eh, you'll figure it out. And if you don't, then no big deal. 
If you die, you die. Whatever. I got clones. So maybe Matt Tracker's wife isn't the late Mrs. Tracker. Maybe she bailed. I don't think he ever had one. I think uh, Scott Tracker's a clone. <laughs> I think he just cloned a kid. He, he, so, or he cloned himself and made it Matt, he named him Scott, so he's like Boba Fett? I think he was, maybe he got his uh, brother's DNA, Andy's, and then he's put him in this uh, Scott Tracker. That's how he kept Andy alive, because Andy apparently dies too, because he just disappears off of the face of the planet, right? Yeah, he Andy killed explosion. himself because he didn't want to have to help watch Scott. Oh, that, could that was Andy's too. job, right? Andy was the babysitter. <laughs> maybe Andy's DNA is in T-Bob. Uh, I guarantee Andy's DNA is in T-Bob. Gross. <laughs> oh, man, that's terrible. Oh, I couldn't even get through saying that. That was so bad. But neither of you are disagreeing. No. It's probably I'm not accurate. Gonna argue, not arguing that one. I mean, begrudgingly not arguing that one. All right, so so back to the story, I think. So we're wrapping up here, all right? Uh, they get Hondo awake using the meteor, which has been reassembled by wizards. But um, then it stops working forever. So this life-giving meteor, which also can melt plants, can only work twice in total, right? So the, 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 when they split it up, and then they reuse it. Okay, hold on. We haven't even gotten to the Scott's such a jack wagon part yet. So the poor scientist, when Hondo's lying there, like lifeless in his coma, she looks at Matt Tracker and goes, is this my fault? Is this my doing? And Matt Tracker doesn't even go like, no, 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 you're, it's not, you're good. Like he doesn't reassure Scott's. And he doesn't say, no, it's my idiot son, Scott, Scott, Scott. Like, he just kind of, like, brushes it under the rug. Hey, everyone, spoiler alert, it is Scott's fault. Scott, you're a menace. This whole... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Hondo's alive, so so Matt doesn't care. Because he even brushed it off when Hondo was down the first time. As I said, he lets out this big sigh, and he goes, Venom. Venom. Like, (laughs) they're fully responsible for the whole thing. There was even a, a, a part in the earlier when they go... Let's do this for Hondo. Like, Hondo, you guys are going to blow Scott up? Because it's Scott's fault. You should go blow Scott up. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a Easter egg link between Austin Powers calling this the kid Scott and this show? It can't be related, right? It would be glorious if it was, because it would make a lot of sense. Because Scott Tracker's a little shit, just like Scott Evil is. The two different personalities, though. I don't think they were the same. But the premise is there. He's annoying. He causes problems. Yeah, Dad is completely annoyed by the by the son who won't do what he asks him to. But I guess I don't know. So Hondo wakes up. This meteor that everybody's been fussing about. We find out really, if you boil it down to it, it can work twice. So a Miles Mayhem was selling this thing for $50 million a piece minimum because he did say bidding, not disclosing that it's only going to work one more time. I don't think he he even knows that. Yeah, I don't don't think he knew. Did Dr. Stevens know? No, because she wanted to go ahead and uh, use it for uh, all those other uh, life-giving operations or whatever. 
She has no what idea. life-giving she, operations. That that was what she was saying. It was her research, and she was using right. the meteor to help uh, bring or give life or whatever it was. Yeah, so is she planning on raising people from the dead here? Yes. She does say life-giving. Slow down. Right? Hondo was in a coma. He wasn't dead, as far as we knew. Right, but if it's life-giving, not yeah. life. Does she say life giving or life saving? Uh, life saving. I don't know. All I know is I, maybe... I. I think you're right. She's looking to raise zombies here. So more GI Joe parallels. Is this what gives Serpentor life? Meteors. No DNA from the world, like creepiest world leaders yeah. give him. But you can't just sprinkle DNA on mush and expect it to let live. There was like power that. Yeah, but that could be meteor power. So they've me- they've yeah, harnessed the power of the life giving meteor to make Serpentor arise. Exactly. I'm... And all Scott has to do is harness the power of T Bob to make Scott arise. Stamp, Stamp Blue, make it true. This is what we're going with. This is how Serpentor was brought together. It la- lends uh, credence to the fact that uh, GI Joe and Mask are supposed to be in the same universe, uh, but. We're going to skip over the Scott T-Bob comment there. Uh, what do you guys have to say to wrap up this episode of Mask? What was your uh, overall feeling about, I don't know, a uh, 1985-year-old <clears throat> version of you watching this versus the 2022 version of you? Uh, because I felt disappointed in watching this. Yet it was like a train wreck. I I had to fin I had to finish watching it. I had to see what happens, and I'm actually excited to watch another episode of it. So something about it is still bringing that childhood memory uh, back to me. Um, I don't know. You guys feel the same way? Um, let's see. So I would have been seven when this first happened. Um. I definitely think that I liked it a lot better when I was younger. Uh, I've tried to watch this. I own this series on twice on DVD because uh, the first one I bought didn't have the complete set. So I own this twice. Um, And I've watched maybe the first six episodes and have stopped every time. And I don't know why. So I've, I've seen this a couple of times and not just for this podcast. And, there are episodes that are better than others, um, but it is very um, not. Uh, it doesn't hold up as well as some of the other TV series do. I think from that time period. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly that it doesn't hold up as well. This was this was in... the '80s toy market, like at its pinnacle, right? Like that's real, really where a lot of this stuff is, and it, it masked really was only out there for a couple of years toy wise even and i think they tried to revive it at one point i think Um, they ended up with like four different series of toys but i'm with you guys the the show was terrible um i couldn't i couldn't find anything to anything likable really about it other than the cool vehicles like the vehicles are what drove the show 100 percent yeah, and I totally thought that the the masks were really cool when I was a kid. Like, I probably was like sitting down, like trying to draw pictures of my own guys with with masks that do different things. And uh, you know, in my custom GI Joe collection, I did make a Matt Tracker, which there is a GI Joe figure whose mask works almost perfectly for a Matt Tracker mask. You know, clearly we're we're all GI Joe fans, right? The the uh, 
the the podcast is is partially named after a GI Joe quote. We have GI Joe figures in the cover, but there there were always these breakoffs. I think in my childhood where I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch like I watch this new show, and oh, for ten minutes it's totally better than GI Joe. Like I want to watch this instead. I want to play with these toys, and uh, you know, it just I don't think it this one didn't hold up. It's much bigger in my memory than it is in reality. So there were, Joe is right, there were uh, a series of four toy lines and there were uh, a group of action packs. So that was where they were blistered together, kind of like G.I. Joe's and they had like different, mm. um, it was Jungle jungle Mat Tracker or Snow mm-hmm. Brusado and they all had like a theme going along with them. Gotcha. They were They were two inch figures. So going back to the size of the figures, okay. they were two inches, and that was how the vehicles okay. were scaled. Um, yeah, and they were a lot cooler. I, going back and looking at some of the toys online, I had a lot of the the second series toys where they had started going, or fourth series also into the kind of sort of the second season of Mask, where they started doing the racing. Um I loved the for the racing part of it. I liked the Matt Tracker in the Formula One car. That was an awesome Matt Tracker. Um, I thought that was cooler. Yeah, but I had a lot of the later series of toys, and I don't know if that was because as I was getting older, I was able to uh, spend more money on those, or I, you know, I didn't have a chance to get a lot of the the first run of the toys. Um, yeah, but I do that remember I had a lot of these toys. Like there were some other things, like I. I didn't have a lot of Transformers or GoBots, but I had a lot of Mass toys, a lot of G.I. Joe toys. Um, so, I see. I recall a grand total of maybe four of these Mass vehicles being in my house between my brother and I, which is the the one that Dagger drives, the Bronco, and then the uh, the Condor, the motorcycle, Miles Mayhem's thing, and then and then Matt Tracker's Thunderhawk. Um, I knew some some people that had like the Rhino. Um, and I think I even knew someone that had the volcano base once it eventually came out. Uh, yeah. but I don't, I, I still have tons and tons and tons of GI Joe's as you guys know. Um, I don't remember when I got rid of my mass toys. I know I've seen them, you know, we went to, uh, we went to that store here in Arizona that had a few, a few mass figures and vehicles, I think on display. Uh, Joe, did you have much interaction with mask the toy? Yeah. For some reason I didn't spend my my hard earned birthday money on mask stuff. Um, it, I mean, for the majority, it was sunk into GI Joe figures. Right. Yeah. So I think I had like maybe three vehicles and my vehicles were all much later series, like series two and later, like I had this like orange GTO and I had like a, a red motorcycle that turned into like a flying thing. And then I had a, um, I think I had like a quad, small and all of mine were small like small vehicles fits one guy right um like the ones that actually you could they could hang at the store right they didn't have to be in a box like some of them they could could be hung up yeah i think they were like small like they were boxes still but i think they were small boxes and to be completely honest i think most of my mask figures were um purchased at like the um when we were growing up where we grew up we had a place called pick and save right that was kind of like the older stuff that was like kind of out of style ended up there uh-huh. for super cheap. And I want to say that's where I got most of my mask toys. Yeah. Um, 
I I will go back to what you guys both said. I think we all agree. If they had, if the vehicles had been GI Joe sized, I would have wanted a lot more of them. Right? You would want to incorporate them into your no GI doubt. Joe vehicles. No doubt. I mean that that Miles Mayhem helicopter jet, helijet, jet copter would have totally helicopter. worked for Cobra. Right? Like that's you know you would have totally bought into that. Um, well, I think uh, unless we've we've got anything to add to this particular episode, we can wrap it up here. Um, final thoughts. I think I'm with you. I, I would like to see more. I, I'd like to start watching more of these episodes, maybe get past the first 10 that I remember doing all the time, but, uh, yeah. And jump ahead maybe and find something that, that works. My wrap up. My final thought is twofold. The first at the end of that episode, miles mayhem says you may have won the battle, but you have not won the war. And I'm just like, again, more of what are we talking about here? How long has this been going on? Um, and I want to watch more episodes just to see if Scott is still a menace. I have a feeling that's going to be a recurring theme. He is a 100% the, the, a menace. Even just listen to the theme music whenever Scott and T-Bob show up. I can't even explain it in words. Like It's just this music where you're like, oh, there's buffoons entering the room. I believe it is the intro song, but played at a slower tempo. But also with some weird, like, poppy um, xylophone-type sounds for children. I'm, I, it's it's really weird. But anyway, so Mask, Mobile Action Strike Command? No? Armored. Armored. Mobile Armored Strike Command. Season 1, Episode 1 from 1985, The Death Stone. We are the Saturday Morning Buffoons, and we look forward to you guys. Buffoons!